week, I was torn about what to do. Uh, so if you were here, if you've been here, as we've went through, uh, been going through the book of Romans, last week we concluded Paul's 74-verse-long uh, sin-saturated section of Romans. Say that fast three times. sin Okay, I can't even say it once, so I'm done. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 3, verse 20. We, we got through it. And I was uh, chomping at the bit, really wanting to move forward, to get to the gospel-saturated section of Romans, starting in Romans 3.21. But I had a problem. Uh, the problem was I'm going to be on vacation for the next two weeks, July 2nd, July 9. Uh, don't worry, someone will be here standing where I am. Uh, the second Jim, our elder Jim McGuire will fill in, and then Tom Raisbeck uh, on the following. We'll be preaching on those dates. So the question was, should I start this new section of Romans, and then there would be this break on this Sunday, or should I wait until I get back from vacation? And, and I decided to wait. I hope you're okay with that. Not just because it was my vacation break, uh, but because God has been put, putting something on my heart. Uh, Something I believe that we at Bridges need to uh, need to hear and or hear again. Something we need to understand, something we need to know, something we need to apply to our lives. Something that I believe is at the heart, uh, the center of the victorious Christian life. It's the key to resisting temptation, uh, to overcoming sin. It's the right motivation behind all service to the Lord. It's the, it's the driving force in what Tom talked about this morning in our efforts to proclaim the Gospel both locally and globally. It provides us with the security that enables us to be people who give generously and sacrificially. It's the, uh, the foundation of marital or, or any other uh, successful relationship. It's essential for finding true purpose and meaning and joy and satisfaction in this life. Uh, now I know that's a lot to promise, right? So what am I talking about? If you've looked at your notes, then you already know the answer. Or at least uh, the answer I will argue for today. It's the title of the message. It's Loving God. Two words. Loving God. If you truly love God as the Bible teaches, if you have an understanding of how the Bible defines love, if you have the understanding of what it means to love God, if God is the, the center of your universe, of your life, if you love Him more than anything or anyone else, including yourself, if He and His purposes and His plans are at the forefront, are they the foremost in your affections, then your life becomes something more. Your life becomes something, something greater than you could even possibly imagine. Now just to be clear, loving God doesn't mean that, that life becomes perfect. But it does mean that you become who God intended you to be. And your life becomes not a series of defeats, but of victories. Your life will be filled with purpose and meaning and joy and satisfaction. Because 
You see, you, we, were all created in God's image. We were created to be in, in this loving relationship with God, to, to walk with Him, to have fellowship with Him. A loving relationship that brings honor and glory to Him. And so to the extent you love God, to the extent you become who you were created to be, excuse me, that's the extent to whom you, to the extent you love God, that's the extent to whom you become who you're created to be. When you love God, He's the sun in your life. What I mean by that is He is the center of your universe. And you're in a continual, uh, consistent orbit around Him. He's the heart of your life. Uh, He fills your thoughts and your emotions. His plans and purposes become your desires and your goals. His Word and His will become your passion and your joy and your satisfaction. But if you don't love God, if you wax and wane from your love of God, if something or someone else is supreme in in your affections, if anything or anyone else is the center of your universe, then you'll find yourself adrift with nothing to hold on to. You'll be aimlessly going from this love uh, to that love, always searching for but never finding what brings lasting meaning and joy and satisfaction. So this morning, it's my hope It's my prayer that as we look at God's Word, uh, we will, as a people, as individuals, grow in our love for God. That is actually, I was thinking about this, uh, that if I could define what my role is as the pastor of this church, it's to help us, help each of us grow in our love for God. If I could define it that simply. Loving God, like most everything else in the Christian life, however, is a process. We're on a journey of faith, and I believe the destination of that journey is and will be, at some point in glory, a perfect relationship with God. But to help us on that journey, I want us to look this morning at five biblical truths about loving God. There could be, we could, there's there's more than five. We're going to look at these five, because these are the ones I want to look at, and I'm in charge here this morning. Sorry. Sorry. Five biblical truths about loving God. And the first truth, the truth we've been touching on, I've sort of made some big promises about what loving God means, and we're going we're gonna to see that here. Loving God is for our good. Loving God is for your good and my good. Being in a growing, loving relationship with God is the best possible place that any person ever created can be in. We see it in the Old Testament, we'll see it in the New. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 16, Moses writes to the children of Israel. He says, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I commanded you today, by loving the Lord your God, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. You know, sometimes we think of the, the children of Israel, they were just all about keeping the law, doing actions, but always at the heart, read the, read the book, the Bible, there was this uh, call to love God. Notice first that loving the Lord your God summarizes what it means to obey His commandments. We'll talk more about that 
in a little bit. But for now, I want us to see that God promises a blessing to the children of Israel, a blessing they would receive by loving the Lord their God. If they faithfully love God, they would live and multiply and be blessed in the promised land. This truth that God blesses those who love Him is found again and again in the Bible. Proverbs 8.17 says, I love those, God speaking, I love those who love me. God love those, loves those. And, and God's love means He's going to act on our behalf. God loves those who love Him. Now the Bible teaches that God loves everyone, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the, the world. Yes, God has this general love for the entire creation. A general love that enabled Him to send His Son into our world. But the Bible also teaches that there's a special love reserved for those who respond to God. For those who love God. And out of that special love come special blessings. God acts. He works to bless those who love Him. Psalm 91, we read, beginning in verse 14, because He, speaking of a man, a person, holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. For those who hold fast to their love for God, a consistent, loving relationship with God, God promised deliverance. He promises protection. He promises to listen and answer when they call. If you're struggling, if you struggle with a prayer life, with your prayer life, you might examine your heart. You might ask yourself, do I really love the God I'm praying to? Do I pray for His purposes or my own? And most importantly, God promises salvation to those who love Him. And there's more. Listen to, uh, to this most often quoted promise in the entire Bible, I believe. Romans 8.28. We'll get to it in somewhere down the road in our Romans study. Paul writes, and, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. This promise is not for all people. Uh, It's not even for all Christians or all who claim to be Christians. The promise is for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. For those who respond to God's call of them into a loving relationship. He will work all things together for their ultimate and for their eternal good. Loving God is for our good. Now that doesn't mean we won't face difficulties and challenges and pain and suffering. But it does mean that even in our difficulties, our pain, our suffering, that those who love God, God will work. God will be there. God will be in relationship with you. And He'll work for your ultimate and eternal good. I believe Paul points to this ultimate good in 1 Corinthians 2.9. When he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, he says, But as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who, for those who love Him. God's good blessing on those who love Him is seen in this life. You'll see it. You'll experience it. But His ultimate blessing, blessing so great it can't be conceived of, it can't be imagined, is reserved for our future. 
blessing we will experience throughout eternity as we continue in our loving relationship with God. Just something to look forward to. Okay, so we've talked about how loving God is for our good uh, sort of in general terms. How we'll be blessed, how, how He'll work things out for our ultimate and our eternal good. And those, that's good to hold on to, that's good to know, that's good to understand and believe and trust in. But I'd also like to give one specific area where loving God positively impacts our life right now, right today, here and now. I want us to see how loving God enables us to have uh, victory over our sin. I know of no way to consistently overcome sin and temptation in my life, in your life, than to be in love with God. What do I mean by that? We can, we can have all kinds of programs and methods to help us avoid the temptations, the sins of this world. Don't go down the ice cream aisle at the grocery store if you want to lose weight, right? We can install software on our computers to keep us from, from using internet sites that will lead us astray. We can form accountability groups to help us remain strong. All of these things are great ideas, and I recommend them. We should do them. But ultimately, ultimately, we cannot overcome our heart issue of sin until our heart is so in love with God that sin no longer appeals to us. We must love God more than we love our sin. Let me say that again. We must love God more than we love our sin. We can for a time, with, with willpower and help from our friends, avoid certain sins. But until we replace our sin with love for God, our hearts will still long for it. And our body will still find a way to give in to it. John Owen, uh, he's 17th century Puritan church leader, put it this way. You have to listen when you talk about a guy from uh, 17th century because they write a little, uh, you know, lofty sometimes. To respond to this, the distorting nature of sin, you must set your affections on the beauty and glory of God, the loveliness of Christ and the wonder of the gospel. Were our affections filled, taken up, and possessed with these things, what access could sin with its painted pleasures and its sugared poisons, with its envenomed baits, have unto our souls? I know the language is a bit old school, but the truth is beautifully stated. Sin will have no place in the heart of a man or woman who set their affections their heart, their love on God, on God's purposes, and on God's glory. And it's when we're freed from this power of sin that we then begin to truly experience all the blessings that God has to offer. So I hope you're convinced of this first truth, that loving God is for your good. It, it should become your passion to pursue loving God. Because if you, if, if you understand that, then the second truth takes on a, a new meaning. The second truth is that loving God is, is commanded. It's demanded. 
When we think of commandments, when we think of rules and laws, often we think of things that are, that are meant to keep us in line, right? To curtail, to stop, to put boundaries on our freedom, to stop us from having a good time, to from stop us from being happy. But that's never true of the biblical commandments. Every commandment is for our good. God commands what is best for His people. And that is certainly true of this greatest commandment. When Jesus was asked, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He responds by quoting uh, Deuteronomy 6.5. He responds, we, you can get it in uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but we're going to look at Mark here. Mark 12.30, Jesus says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Notice the kind of love we are uh, commanded to have for God. It's a full and complete love involving our heart, our emotions, our, our soul. That's, the, that's what the Greek word there, it's the same as we use the word heart for our emotions. The Greeks use the word, this word for emotions. Our soul, sort of spiritual part of us, our mind, our thinking, our strength, our body. And the fact that this is a commandment means that loving God with our being is not an optional part of the Christian life. There's not special Christians who do this. Oh, they really love God. Wish I could be like them. This command is for every person. Every believer is commanded to love God with all of their being. Now remember, loving God, like much of the Christian life, is a journey. It's a process. There's growth. It's not that, in fact, this is, uh, uh, it's not that we'll ever in this life be able to fully obey this command. I'm not at a point of fully obeying this command. In fact, if you ever feel like you've arrived in your Christian life, like, ah, I'm I'm pretty much here. It's a done deal. Reflect on this. Reflect on your love for God. Reflect on, is it with all of your heart? Are there some other things that are uh, vying for your affections? All of your soul, all of your mind, is that what you think about? Is that what you dwell on? Is God who you think about and dwell on? It's a process. It's not that in this life we will perfectly love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the question is, the question for us, is are we pursuing that? Is that our desire? Is that our hope? Is that a goal? Not... Not a goal we'll never achieve, but a goal we're shooting for. Pursuing loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Are we doing everything possible to make uh, loving God not a priority in, in this life, but the priority, the central focus of our existence? Now, I know that Jesus goes on to give a second commandment. First, love God, and then Mark twelve thirty one, he says, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. These are the two great, greatest commandments. Love God, love people. And it's not that you can separate them, though. You can't obey the first and then disobey the second. You can't love God and hate your neighbor. You can't love your neighbor and hate God. They go together. In fact, Mark says, check this out, there is no other commandment singular than these. So it's like there's two, but they're one. You're going to do uh, both or neither. And John writes, 
uh, the Apostle John writes in 1 John 4.20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he, can, who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You cannot separate love from God and love from people. In fact, it's our loving relationship with God, I believe, that enables us to love other people. So second, loving God is commanded. commanded. There's a, a connection to our, our loving one another, our loving our neighbor. Third truth, loving God is shown by obedience. Jesus said, and this is just one, this is throughout the scripture, you can read this. I think uh, Deuteronomy that we read earlier reflects this, but Jesus states it simply, John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Bottom line. Your love for God will be demonstrated by outward action, by outward obedience. We see this uh, in our relationships with people, don't we? In our loving relationships with people. When we love someone, we show it by our deeds, our actions towards them. I love my wife, therefore I spend time with her. I help her accomplish tasks. For the past nine months, as she teaches school and has no time. I've cleaned our house tirelessly by myself. Yes, I am super husband. No, just kidding. Uh, But you show your love in outward actions. And if we love God, we also show it by our actions. In the case of God, those actions should be obedience to His commands. Not necessarily uh, in our human relationship should that be true, but with God, it's always the case. We show our love by obeying Him. If I love God, I will fill in the blank, uh, study His Word, love my enemies, take up the cross and follow Him, worship God in spirit and in truth. I won't steal, I won't murder, I won't covet, I won't lie. You could go on. You demonstrate your love for God by knowing His will and following it, by obeying His commandments. If I love God, my life will be characterized. It will be shown by obedience to His will. Notice that I said, loving God is shown by obedience. Or you could say, obedience is the natural response to loving God. However, that does not mean that obedience is equal uh, to loving God. Some Christians have suggested that loving God is... Just an action, not an emotion. That loving God does not include our feelings. But the Bible teaches loving God, this is our fourth truth, loving God includes, involves our emotions. As parents, uh, we know that emotionless uh, obedience is not an ideal or even desired. If you tell your children to do something, uh, there are four basic responses. Uh, Number one, they rebel. They disobey in some manner. They don't do what you tell them. Number two, they begrudgingly obey out of fear of punishment. Number three, they dutifully obey because they recognize uh, your proper authority over them. And number four... They relationally obey out of their love for you. Now, some parents 
uh, might say they would be happy with uh, just number two. Um, as long as I can get number two, begrudging obedience. If they would just do what I say, I'm good to go. Others are okay with number three. Uh, instilling a sense of duty and authority is important for our children. But God does not settle for two or for three. He commands us to love Him with all of our heart. He commands our emotions. But unfortunately, we often stop at number three and we think we're there. We think we've made it. We've arrived. I'm not saying three is bad. I'm saying it's not the end. It's not our destination. Dutifully, dutiful obedience because we recognize the authority of God. Not bad, but not the end. God wants more than dutiful obedience. God wants, God commands your heart. Because it's from the heart of love that true obedience flows. Let me show this by, by looking at, at the love chapter in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13. In verse 3, Paul writes, If I give away all I have, that's pretty major. Um, last night, we had a raffle you were here and some people donated some awesome stuff and and some people were blessed by that but imagine if i give away all i have and if i deliver up my body to be burned if i sacrifice my life but have not love i gain nothing that means something a person can do some amazing uh, sacrificial actions give away everything they have give up their very life but not have love. This makes it clear to me that, that love cannot be equated with any kind of action, any kind of sacrificial action. Love is not just doing something for someone regardless of our motivation or emotions. Love includes our emotions and our feelings. So why is this idea uh, uh, that love is not what we feel, but what we do, become so popular with Christians. And, and it has. If, you, if, if you're not thinking it yourself, it's, it's out there. Because first, I think there's a little bit of truth there. It's true that mere warm feelings, just having feelings about something, can never replace actual deeds of love. Now I would say, if you feel something, there's going to be actions. We'll get to that. But just having, just saying, I, feel, I love you, be warmed and filled... That's, that's not uh, biblical love either. And it's true that efforts of love must be made, this number three we talked about, dutiful obedience must take place in the absence of feelings that one might wish were present. Does that make sense? The number three, that dutiful obedience, if I don't have the feelings, doesn't mean you don't obey. You obey because of something else, but you can't stop there. Because it's not true to say that love is simply what we do and not what we feel. True love for God or for anyone will involve both emotions and actions. We see this as, as uh, 1 Corinthians 13 goes on. Verse 4-7. through 7. Famous. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
there are a lot of actions here, right? To being patient and kind and not boasting and not being rude and bearing all things. But notice the emotions. Paul says love does not envy, envy, emotion. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. That it rejoices. It doesn't rejoice, excuse me, in wrongdoing. And it rejoices in truth. That it hopes. That it hopes for all things. In all things. Now all of these are feelings. If you feel certain things such as envy or irritation or resentment, you're not loving. And if you do not feel certain things such as joy in the truth and, and hope, you are not loving. In other words, yes, love is more than a feeling. It includes actions. But no, love is not less than a feeling. It includes our emotions. Back again. This should settle the question. Uh, Uh, the great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. That's The Greek there is clear. It's an emotional thing. All of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. There's some intellectual, you know, you you should be loving God with your mind, thinking about God, processing about God, and with all of your strength. There should be action involved as well. It's everything. The great commandment is to love God with every fiber of your being, to love Him completely with all of your mind, will, and emotions. But here's where where we run into a problem. And this is the second reason why I believe Christians have come to equate love for God not with feelings, but with actions. Uh, And let me summarize it real quick. Because we can't do it. We can't have those those feelings, so we excuse ourselves. Well, it must not be feelings because I can't feel that way. I don't feel that way. They would say, and I've heard people say this, I'm not making it up, if we are commanded to love God, and loving God involves emotions, how can God command us to have certain emotions? We don't control our emotions. They're either what they are what they are, right? I can't say to myself, okay, self, uh, feel happy. Hey, all right. I mean, that just doesn't work. Uh, feel love. I can't look. I don't want to pick on anybody. Love. I love you all. All right. Uh, I, can't, I can't force myself to, to love, to feel happy, anything. But, but Scripture does command our feelings. Have you, have you read the Bible? Uh, it commands us to feel certain ways all over the place. Rejoice always, Right? Here's just a few examples from Jesus. I'm not going to give the verse. You can jot them down if you want and look them up later. But in Matthew 5, verse 12, Jesus commands that we rejoice in certain circumstances. In Luke chapter 12, verse 5, Jesus commands that we fear the right person. Don't fear men, but fear God. In, in Luke chapter 9, 26, Jesus commands that we not feel shame over him or his words. He says, you're not allowed to feel shame. Well, how, what, what are you talking about? I either do or don't. How can you command me not to have shame? In Matthew 18.35, Jesus commands that we forgive uh, from the heart. Not that we say we dutifully say, I have to forgive, so I'll forgive. But we have to forgive from the heart. There is an emotional component. So how can, how can this be? Speaking about Jesus' commands with regards to our emotions... John Piper says this, Jesus can demand it. 
the fact that I may be too corrupt to experience the emotions that I am ought to have does not change my duty to have them. If Jesus commands it, I should have it. My moral inability to produce it does not remove my guilt. It reveals my corruption. It makes me desperate for a new heart which Jesus came to give. I think that says a lot, and we'll explain it. The problem is that, that all too often we don't have the right emotions. I, I, I don't feel that. Jesus says, I, I fear, fear God, not man. But I, I really fear these men who can ridicule me and, and cause me trouble. Or we don't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I know, I, you know, there's other things I love more. Sometimes we can muster up uh, the will to obey in certain circumstances. And if obedience, if actions, is love, then we can say we love God, at, at, at least some of the time. But if loving God truly involves not only our, our will, our actions, but our emotions, if loving God means an actual desire to be with Him, to learn from Him, to learn about Him, to experience relational closeness with Him, then the fact that we do not experience these feelings says something not about God, not about His commands. It says something about our heart. As Piper put it, it reveals our corruption. So what's the solution to the problem? The solution is a new heart. The solution is transformation. Or as we recently saw in Romans, a circumcised heart. Moses wrote these words to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You see, it's God who circumcises. It's God who transforms your heart so that you can love Him with all your heart. God can command you to love Him with your heart, your emotions, because God gives you the ability to obey that command. He's the one that transforms your heart. He gives you a heart that loves Him. So, if you're not experiencing the emotions, we'll talk more about this in a minute, but if you're not experiencing the emotions that Jesus commands you to have, that the Bible tells you to have, it's not, uh, okay, how can I do this? It's, it's run to God, fall on your knees, beg God to transform your heart. Because, final point, loving God is for His glory. Sort of the bookends. Loving God is for our good, but ultimately loving God is for His glory. Our ability to love God is actually a gift from God. It's the Lord Himself that enables us to love Him. In 1 John 4.19, the Apostle writes uh, this short yet profound truth. We love because He first loved us. God is the source of of all love. Our ability to love him, our ability to love anyone is only because God first loved us. So to the extent we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, it is because God has given us the ability to do so. God, not you or I deserve the credit, uh, the glory for our love for God. So God is glorified by our love for Him because God gives us the ability to love Him. 
And God is glorified also by our love for Him because when we love Him, it shows the world around us His greatness. We make Him look good when we really love Him. We need to ask ourselves uh, this question. Do the people in your life, the people that know you, do they know that you love God? Do your, does your family and friends and neighbors and co-workers, do they know that God is the most important thing in your life? That God is the center of your universe? Does the way you live show that you love God above all else? Does the world see you joyfully obeying His commands? Not begrudgingly, but joyfully obeying His commands. Even and especially when it means that you must make uh, what, what they would see, what you don't see by the way, but what they would see as a sacrifice. I'm going to make a guess, and I know I'm right, that uh, if I might, Kellen and Becca, how do you feel about going back to Africa Pretty bummed about that? Definitely bummed? I mean, just last night Kellen shared uh, how they were excited. I mean, I mean, the world looks at that and goes, what in the world is wrong with you? Well, I mean, this is the United States of freaking America. Why would you want to leave this place? But they're excited to go back to Africa because that's where the God they love has called them to be. And God makes it not a sacrifice. So do you make decisions about your life, about your time, about your treasures, your money, and your talents based on your love for God and His purposes? You know, uh, our church isn't right now financially not awesome. And I have zero desire, zero desire Uh, for anyone to uh, obey and start giving because of number three, out of guilt and and, uh, dutiful obedience. But I have this amazing desire that people would give sacrificially to this church, to missionaries, to God's work in this world, because they love God more than they love Starbucks, because they love God more than they love uh, their Netflix subscription. They love God more than they love the things of this world. Do you stand up For the truth of God's word. Demonstrating your love for him. Do you share with others who God is and how important he is in your life? These are the things that 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 sort of uh, you can reflect on and say, do I love God? Is he the center? Is he the most important thing? Does the world see my life and say, oh, that person, uh, I, I might not believe God is uh, awesome, but they certainly do. John Piper says this, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in Him. And our satisfaction in God comes when we are deeply in love with Him. God is most glorified. The world sees God's glory in me when I am deeply in love with Him. To the extent we love God, to that extent, He will be glorified in and through our lives. So we've seen uh, five truths about loving God. Loving God is for our good. Loving God is commanded. Loving God is, is shown by obedience. Loving God includes our emotions, definitely our actions, but also our emotions. Loving God, finally, is for His glory. 
So the question is, the question for all of us today and, and every day, based on what we've seen in God's Word, not based on our own concept of what love is or what someone else has told us, do you love God? Is God the center of your life? The center of your uh, personal universe? Is He the center of your affections? Are you pursuing love for God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And if the answer is yes, then continue. Grow in that. Help others to grow in that. Glorify Him in that. Obey Him. Show your love for Him and obedience. But if your answer is no, then I believe you have one of two problems. Either. So, so again, let me, let me just stop for a second and say, I'm not talking about your experience. You know, just walk in. Look, God, love, and ignoring the rest of the world. It's not you're in some emotional trance all the time. Talking, is God uh, the motivation in your life? And, is, and I'm, again, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about, is that what you're pursuing? Is that the goal? And your goals, in, 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 when you write your goals, I'm sure we all do that. No, maybe not. But when you think about your goals and where you want to be in five years, I want to be more in love with God. Is that on the top of your list? That's not the case. Either your heart has never been circumcised, your heart has never been transformed by God, because remember, it's only because of God's work in your life that you can love Him. Don't leave this place thinking, i gotta, I got to love God more. How do I do that in myself? It's, it's God that's going to work in your heart. And if that's the case then the solution is to call upon the Lord. We talked about this. To give your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To ask Him to come into your life to forgive your sins. To allow God to give you this new heart, this circumcised heart, this transformed heart. To allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in your life. To transform you into a person that pursues loving God on a daily, regular basis. So that's for those that have have never really come to know the Lord. They've never really had a transformed heart. So either your heart has not been transformed or, and this is probably most of us here, you've allowed your heart to grow cold. You are not, you haven't been, you're not cultivating, you're not pursuing love for God. It's not on the top of your list of goals in your life. And the thing we need to understand the thing we must understand, check, check this out. If the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the greatest sin is not to love God. That if you do not love God, you are in disobedience to God. And the response to that, the response to any sin, is repentance. To begin to, to, to turn from that sin of loveless, lovelessness and turn to God. To ask God to help you to cultivate a new heart. A heart with His capacity, a supernatural capacity. Recognizing you can't do it on your own. A capacity to love Him. Now how do we do that? How do we do that? That's our, our, our last little section here. How can I grow in my love for God? And so this is for all of us. Even if you're experiencing awesome Awesome quiet times, even if you're Kellen and Becca going to Africa, sacrificing for Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. You're just sitting right there. I have to, I'll pick up, who can I, who else? No. Even if, even if your relationship with God is going great, we can all uh, learn 
how to grow in love with him more. In the book of Revelation, God instructs the Apostle John to write these words. uh, uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. Notice these words are are written to the church, uh, to God's people. It's not not specifically to the angel. It's just like representative of the church. This is for the church in Ephesus. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Uh, Not going to go... Explain that today, that's a picture of Jesus. So Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. Man, good church, right? Sounds like they're doing awesome. You know, they're doing a lot of good works, they're taking care of truth, they're, they're working, you know, not, not allowing the, the, the bad truth to come in, they're bearing up under persecution. Then Jesus says, but I have this against you, you've abandoned the love you had at first. These Ephesian Christians were doing a lot of good stuff, they were doing seemingly okay. But Jesus says, he's something against them. They've abandoned the love they had at first. They've lost their first love, their love for God. And this is a major problem. Again, greatest commandment, love God. Not loving God is a problem, no matter what else is going on in your life. So Jesus then gives them these instructions. Instructions that all who desire to grow in their love for God need to to cherish, need to follow, need to understand first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Remember, reflect on, think about the love relationship you once had with the Lord. Remember how important He was in your life. Remember the joy of His presence in your life. Remember telling other people about what He'd done for you. Realize that this is is possible to regain. It's not gone. You know, oftentimes we, we have that first love and we're in a different state. Oh, that was just when I was, that was just back then. Remember that. And, and I don't want to jump ahead. But you can regain, understand that that relationship is available. Don't give up on reestablishing that love that you first had. And then repent. Remember, this is sin we're talking about. Understand that even if you are doing a lot of Christian stuff like the Ephesians, your lack of love for God is sin. Is a a great sin. Sin that must be confessed. Sin that must be repented of. You, You must turn from your sin of lovelessness you must go to the Lord in humility and call upon Him to to work in your heart. To transform your heart again. To give you the love you're lacking. And then He says, do the works you did at first. Uh, John doesn't describe what these works are. But since the Ephesians were doing a lot of external good works, mustering up, standing up, dutifully obeying, I believe, it seems that John is talking about our internal relational works. Do the works that you did when you were in loving relationship with God. What are those relational works? Well, I believe they're summarized for us in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. This is what the early church 
These, the early church experiencing this first love, this first mega love, is, is they've experienced Pentecost and the Spirit of God has fallen upon them. This is what the early church spent their time doing. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. These are the works that you uh, do at first. These are the relational works that help you grow in love with God. Spending time in prayer. Spending time in God's presence. Spending time in His Word, the Apostles' teaching. Learning of Him. Learning to to love Him. Learning more and more of of who He is. Last uh, yesterday. Last yesterday? Okay. That would be two days ago. I don't know what that is. Yesterday, we we were uh, in the morning, we had a memorial service for Jim Stream. And at that time, uh, a number of people stood up and shared about his life. Some things I, had, I didn't realize about Jim. Some things I learned about Jim. And you know what? I said to Patty afterwards, uh, it's clearly too late now, but I said to Patty, his wife afterwards, man, that hearing about that just wanted to make me know, know him more. Be in relationship with him more. And the same thing is true of God as we study his word, as we learn of who he is, his awesomeness, his qualities, his attributes, his love for us. Helps us to grow in love with Him. And spend time with others who love God. Fellowshipping. Growing together. It's a, it's a group project, this loving God. We fellowship. We grow together in our love for God. And, and, and it's not rocket science. you know. Like any other relationship, if you desire to grow in love, you, you spend time together. You spend time with God. So this morning... As we close our service, uh, the, the worship team is going to come forward and they're going to lead us in this, uh, uh, this uh, one verse, one verse song. This one verse, uh, and, it's, and it's an old, I think it's a Maranatha tune, Mar- Maranatha? Maranatha tune uh, that, that uh, Emily has for us. And, it, and it's a declaration, a proclamation of your love for God. And so as we come together, as we sing this song, I would ask you to consider the words you're singing. Are they true in your heart? Do you love the Lord? Consider where you are. Do you need to remember the love you had for God in the past? Do you need a, a transformed heart? Do you need Jesus to transform your heart? Do you need to repent of your sin of lovelessness towards God? Do you need to return uh, to the relational works You did it first. Let's pray. Lord God, I just pray for us as a congregation, as individuals, Lord, that we would understand, that uh, You would stamp in our hearts our need, Your command uh, to love You with every fiber of our being, Lord. That that would become uh, real in our lives, Lord. And and not that we're going to be perfect today, but I pray that you would help us grow today. I pray that you would help us set a, set a, set a memorial stone even here and say, this is the day I want to start pursuing that, that all-encompassing love for the Lord. Or just use this, uh, this time of worship uh, to help us consider uh, growing in love with you. In Christ's name, amen.